I grew up in a church called Berean Bible Church. The church actually got its name from Acts chapter 17, where there's this little group of Christians or people who become Christians who listen to the missionaries and they study the scriptures really intensely. As you can imagine, uh, Berean Bible Church was very intense about the scriptures. And one of the things I'm most grateful for about growing up at Berean Bible Church was that it, it taught me how to study the scriptures, how to read the scriptures thoughtfully and be transformed. We had these things called daily devotionals. At least that's what we called them when I was a kid. Maybe you still do them. Maybe you've done them when you were younger. Each day we would read this passage of scripture and it had a couple of questions with it every day. It would ask, number one, what is the author saying? And number two, how can this apply to my life? I actually love these two questions. I still, even just subconsciously, I use these questions a lot because they help us focus on, number one, the authorial intent of the scripture. What was the writer saying, right? And number two, transformation. How could I apply this in my own life? Both of these things are things that we sometimes skip over when we're reading the scripture. And this is what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the Bereans from Acts chapter 17. My name is Nick Morrow. I'm one of the pastors at Common Ground West. And I say I'm, quote, one of the pastors. Some people ask me about that because they're like, aren't you the only pastor? While I may be the only pastor on staff at the moment, I actually believe there are a lot of, quote, pastors at the church in the literal sense or the biblical sense of that word. We've been studying Acts uh, all year in 2020, and we've seen some amazing pastors throughout the book of Acts. Some of them are paid. Some of them are not paid. Um, they all look a little bit different, but I always like to point out that a pastor, quote, pastor in the Bible, it's not a profession. It's actually an office or a function of the church, right? Paid or unpaid doesn't matter. It's a gift and a, and a, a function, an office of the church. So like I said, we've been studying the book of Acts this year, and in the past few chapters, we've been tracking with Paul and some of his teams and their missionary journeys. In most places that they go, uh, the missionaries preach about Jesus. Some people believe, some people don't. Religious people get really fired up and they either get beat up, put in prison, persecuted in some way or another. That's what we've been looking at in the last several chapters. There's been loads of themes we've looked at. I hope you've explored some on your own, but I'm going to start and I'm going to read Acts chapter 17 today. If you have a Bible or a Bible reading device, you can get that out now, or you can just kind of relax and listen. I'm going to read the full chapter here, Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Paul and Silas then traveled through the towns of Amphipolis and Apollonia where they, and, and came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service, and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. But some of the Jews were jealous, so they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. They attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag him out into the crowd. Not finding him there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them before the council. Paul and Silas have tr caused trouble all over the world, they shouted. And now they're here disturbing our city too. And Jason has welcomed them into his home. 
They're all guilty of treason against Caesar, for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. The people of the city, as well as the city council, were thrown into turmoil by these reports. So the officials forced Jason and the other believers to post bond, and then they released them. That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. As a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. But when some Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, they went there and stirred up trouble. The believers acted at once, sending Paul on to the coast while Silas and Timothy remained behind. Those escorting Paul went with him all the way to Athens. Then they returned to Berea with instructions for Silas and Timothy to hurry and join him. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, What's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, He seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You're saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He's the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he's the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man he created all the nations through the whole world. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall and determine their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. But others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. I started today by saying that I wanted to focus on the Bereans. Obviously, there's a lot uh, of themes in this chapter. And as always, I want to encourage you to read on your own. Maybe read this three or four times throughout the next week. Because there's at least like three or four different 
really amazing themes. In fact, one of them in particular that I'm not going to have time to hit on today is this statue to the quote unknown God that the Greek people had and the, the cultural context behind why they had that statue and what had happened in the past with that statue. It's a really interesting story. You should look it up, uh, study that a little bit, dig into that. If you really want to know some more about that, feel free to email me uh, or reach out because that's interesting. But today I want to focus on the Bereans, uh, particularly verses uh, 10 through 12. I'm going to read those again. That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue, and the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. And as a result, many Jews believed, as did the prominent Greek women and men, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. Now, the author of Acts, which is, um, we've talked about this before, it's a doctor named Luke. He accompanied Paul on some of his missionary journeys. He's clearly impressed by the Bereans here. Right, the text lists three things that the Bereans did that I think are worth noting. Number one, they listened intently. Number two, they kept an open mind, an open heart, or um, depending on what translation you're reading, they received the message with eagerness. And number three, maybe most importantly, they searched the scriptures to ensure that what they were hearing from the missionaries was accurate. I would propose today that our culture desperately needs more Bereans, right? People who are willing to listen carefully, think critically, and discern, quote, what truth is based on the scriptures, I don't have to tell you that um, that doesn't exactly describe our culture, right? If I had to put it in a bullet-pointed one, two, three kind of list, I would say our culture um, doesn't usually listen very carefully, right? Number one, we, we, we don't listen carefully because we're inundated. I don't know why, but I, I, my guess is because we're inundated with all these advertisements, we're uh, inundated with information from the internet and from uh, relationships, social networks, and all these other things. We just don't listen very carefully sometimes. We don't pay attention. Number two, uh, we don't, uh, as a culture, we don't often keep an open mind or an open heart toward God, right? Not much of an explanation needed there. We keep an open mind and heart towards lots of things, but it's not always God. We have plenty of idols to keep us busy. And number three, our culture defines truth largely based on feelings or our own desires rather than Jesus's feelings, thoughts, or desires. If you want to be countercultural in 2020, read the Bible a lot and change your life according to what God reveals to you. Like these days, that's radical. Even in the church, those people are like a dying breed, right? Oftentimes we, uh, we will read the scriptures, but we want to interpret them based on our own lives. And instead, God desires for us to read the, script, read the scriptures and allow our lives to be interpreted by the scriptures. One of our core values as a church is that we're, quote, rooted in scripture. When we state what our values are as a church, it's not necessarily saying that we're perfect at these things, for sure, and not even saying that we're great at them, but we're saying that it's like an aspiration or a goal, something that we strive to be, is to be rooted in Scripture. So today I want to challenge you, 
while that is a stated value for us as a community, is that a value for you personally or for your family to be rooted in scripture? Now, please don't hear that question with shame attached to it, right? Or like there's some kind of quota attached to it. Some of us grew up, um, and I would say I grew up with this, this weird sense of shame, like we, quote, didn't read our Bible enough, right? I've heard that from Christians so many times. But reading the Bible, it's not just about checking off a box or fulfilling some kind of Christian duty. Reading the Bible is a primary way to encounter God and to get to know God in his heart. Last year, we, um, we did a training and equipping on the scriptures. And in that class, I developed this little chart. It's kind of like a, a continuum of how people uh, tend to read the scriptures. You'll notice in the digital liturgy this week, there's a link to download it. So some of you that are more visual, you can see this visually, right? I've got this continuum that I, I uh, have developed over the years of the ways, the primary ways that I see people reading the scriptures, Right. The first one, um, and this is this kind of goes from unhealthy to healthy. Right. The first one is ammunition. People often read the Bible for ammunition. Now, this is clearly not healthy. Whenever we read the Bible to uh, uh, to support our own biases, when we read the Bible looking for an answer that we already know what it is, and we already know what we're going to make it say. I have a friend that um, jokes around. Um, he's a, he's a godly man, but he, he made a joke one time. He said, I can make the Bible say anything I want it to. And his point was that using certain scriptures out of context, not reading into what really the heart of, or the thrust of scripture is, we kind of can, we can interpret the Bible to say about anything we want. And people have done that, right? So we can read the Bible for ammunition, trying to use it against other people, whether they're Christians or non-Christians. This is not a healthy way to read the Bible. The second point on the continuum is reading the Bible for information. Now, reading the Bible for information is not a bad thing. Uh, in fact, it's a good thing as long as it's a means to an end. Reading the Bible merely for information um, doesn't, doesn't kind of lead us to what God has uh, in store for us as Christians when we read the Bible, but we can go to the Bible uh, simply looking for, for instance, for, for historical data, right? What does the Bible say about a particular thing in history, or how many times is um, X, Y, or Z word included in the New Testament, or the Old Testament? How many times is, does this theme pop up? Whatever. Reading the Bible for information, again, it's not a bad thing as long as it's a means to an end, which I'll talk about in just a second. Third point on my continuum is reading the Bible for revelation. Reading the Bible for revelation is great. I would say maybe this is what I do the most. Um, God certainly wants to reveal to us as we read the scriptures, right? For, for us to read with, with a sort of spiritual um, eyes or spiritual ears that we keep our lenses focused on heaven as we're reading. And what does God want to say through in Revelation, right? The root of that word is reveal, to have things revealed to us. But I would say, and this is, I've been really convicted of this as, as a preacher, as a, um, just as a Christian, someone who loves the scriptures and loves to find new things. Like we love shiny new objects. I certainly do. I can read the Bible for revelation, get the revelation, feel the feel goods of the revelation, and it still not change anything in my life. 
Like I said, I've been really convicted of this in my own life. Perhaps you have too. We can come to church and hear a preacher, or we can go to the scriptures, or we can listen to the Bible teacher or whatever, reveal these new things to us. And it's like, oh, I've got this great new information. Oh, I might have had this new spiritual insight or, quote, revelation. And it still not change anything in our hearts. And that leads me to my fourth point on the continuum, the very ultimate and best and final uh, ends of the way God wants us to read scripture is for transformation. Right? I mentioned already that uh, reading the scriptures is in a beautiful way to encounter God. And when we encounter God, he wants to lead us into the transformation, forming us into the image of Jesus. And so as we collect information, as we collect these revelations and God reveals things to us, he wants to do those for the purpose of transformation. Right? Notice uh, that if you could be you could be a non-Christian person and you could read the Bible for ammunition. Certainly lots of people have done that. You can be an atheist or an agnostic and you can read the Bible for, for information, right? And many people have. You could even be someone of another religion and read the Bible for revelation. But unless we're willing to do something about it and change our lives based on it, it doesn't do us any good. We have to read the Bible with a mindset and a heart for transformation. Reading the Bible for transformation will change your life. I mean that. We say that phrase all the time. Such and such will change your life. Watch the new episode of this show on Netflix. It'll change your life. But I mean, I really mean it. It will change your life. And you should be ready, right? Have an open mind, an open heart like the Bereans, because it will change your life. Reading the Bible for transformation, truly going into it with that mindset, allows God to shape us. And that way, it takes a humility. It takes a willingness to be formed. And that way, as the, the Bible Project's Tim Mackey says, instead of, quote, reading the Bible, it allows the Bible to begin reading us. Notice that any time in the scriptures, uh, any time that the scriptures are used in the apostles' preaching throughout the book of Acts, and they use them a lot. In fact, pretty much every sermon they're using, pulling from the Old Testament scriptures, they're using them for the ultimate purpose of transformation. Yes, they include information. Yes, they include revelation. But ultimately, it's toward the end of transformation and preaching the gospel, the good news about Jesus for people to receive him. So what does your relationship with the Bible look like? Right? What, compared to the Bereans, the people um, who listened intently and with eagerness, open minds, open hearts, and studied the scriptures for themselves, what, what does your relationship with the Bible look like? Again, that's not a shame-filled question. If maybe you haven't touched a Bible in like months, I get that. I've had that in my history uh, as, a, as a believer in Jesus. I've, I've had those times in my past. So I get it. I understand it. And I don't think it's a good, I don't think it's helpful to come to that question with shame. The enemy just wants to drive us into like reading the Bible less in that sense, right? When we come to the Bible and we like, we drag our feet and we ho-hum about it. That's not the way I'm asking this question. I'm asking you to maybe spend some moments with the Holy Spirit and just ask him like, hey, hey, what do you want my commitment to the Bible to look like this year in 2020? Right? We are, we are living in one of the strangest times in history. It's a hard year. I'm not going to lie. I, I don't think anyone could weave a story that this has been like an amazing year. But we do have this like weird sense of like isolation or staying at home a lot more. 
And maybe you have lots of time because you're by yourself or with roommates. Maybe you don't have much time because you have kids. But we do, we are all in the same boat that we have to stay home more and we have to be isolated more. We can redeem that time. When I used to play basketball, um, my coach, his name was Dana, he, w- he would often lecture us. And he'd say, you boys, you've f- forgotten the fundamentals. We were trying to play fancy, you know, play like Michael Jordan or Allen Iverson. I'm showing my age a little bit here. Uh, I was in the elementary school in the 90s. But he would like, he would harp on us for trying to play like an NBA player. And he would say, you forgot the fundamentals. And he would make us run these endless drills, practicing those fundamentals, right? Dribbling the right way and using our footwork in the right way and running drills. Regular intake of the scriptures, it's like Christian fundamentals, right? Not just reading for reading's sake, but reading like the Bereans for transformation. They listened intently. They kept an open mind and open heart, receiving the message with eagerness. And they searched the scriptures, studying for themselves. My prayer for our church, my prayer for you, for your family, is that we would be a people rooted in scripture, that we would be a radical 2020 Christians, that we would emerge from COVID, not weaker, anemic Christians, just because we couldn't gather on Sunday mornings and that one discipline got taken away from us, but that we would would, come out of it and we would be supercharged with the scriptures, supercharged with times of prayer, even if you got to do it with your kids and your family, with times of worship that we would so develop the personal disciplines that when we get to return to communally as a people doing the corporate disciplines again, that it would be on, that it would be awesome because we use this time, as I heard one pastor say, as an incubation time, not uh, as a time to fall asleep. I'm going to pray that over us right now. If you're uh, if you're uh, with yourself or your family, whoever, I, sometimes I do this when we're when we're all together. I'm going to ask you to put your hand over your heart. And this might seem weird because we do it in the legal system, but I'm actually going to actually ask you to grab your Bible if you have it with you. You can put a hand on your heart, hand on the Bible. Jesus, give us a special relationship with this book or this collection of books. There is so much revelation and transformation packed into this. These holy scriptures of yours that Um, we'll never, ever see the end of it, even on earth. We could read it five times, ten times, cover to cover, and we would still never reach the end of it, God. I pray that we would be people that that have like a holy obsession with finding you in the scriptures. That we wouldn't allow some of these cultural lies about what the scriptures are or are not or whatever to seep into us as a people, as as a group of people or as individuals. That we would just say, you know what? I'm going to be an orthodox, radical Christian in 2020. I'm just going to read the scriptures and say, God, what is it saying? And what are you trying to say to me through it? Jesus, I pray that that would deepen in this time. This is a hard time for some. God, I pray that you would um, actually use your scriptures to speak to us. That you would show us that there's a whole lot of people in scriptures having a way, way, way worse time than we're having right now. And that you would actually use those stories to speak to us, to build our character, to make us, um, as one translation says, noble people like the Bereans. God, I pray that our congregation, our church would be rooted in scripture, that we could actually be a group of people that explains the revelation of scripture to other people, that we can correct at times as we need to, Help people understand it, family members, friends, neighbors, co-workers, 
understand the scriptures in a deeper way. God, I pray as we read this week that we would meet you there. I pray for holy, miraculous, uh, divine encounters in your word this week. I pray these things in your name. We love you, Jesus. Amen.